those of you who've been at All Souls for a long time know that we use those gesmias for the Sunday before Lent, and today is sexagesmia, and those stand for, I, I'm sorry, my Latin isn't very good. What is sex? I mean, is it, I don't know. It's three Sundays before Lent, okay? Um, and so this was a time when people prepared for Lent, and eventually it kind of transformed into this idea of Mardi Gras, which was um, not just that you're preparing for Lent, but you're having a lot of fun because you're going to start these Lenten disciplines. And so Shrovetide ends on Shrove Tuesday. But Shrovetide actually began the day after Candlemas. So we decided, in light of all that, to have an earlier start to our catechesis Lenten series, since technically there's really only five Sundays in Lent, um, so that we, because we don't have catechesis on Palm Sunday, so that we could um, begin to prepare for Lent and talk about Lent during this season. So one of the things we do as we begin to prepare about Lent is we think about what Lent means and we begin to think about, well, what practices do we want to add to this time during Lent or deepen maybe would be a better word for it. Um, I know often people think of Lent as I'm going to give up chocolate, I'm going to give up alcohol, and all those things are fine if you want to practice that particular discipline um, as a way of deprivation. I think it has that origin and we're depriving ourselves. But I think even more important than giving up chocolate is thinking about, or giving up anything, is thinking about what we're going to add or what we're going to do. Uh, what are the practices that we want to give our souls attention to during this time of Lent. So I, I wanted, this was actually in the game, even though Mark is trying to get my slideshow going, but I did ha plan on having an opening kind of discussion. Turn to your neighbor and talk about what Lent means to you, how you've practiced it, what are you thinking about this practice? Okay, so go ahead and turn to each other and begin discussing. Thank you. Here's a catch. I have a PC. So, oh, no. It, it's okay. Can I, can I drive for a Sure. Second? Okay. It'll transfer. I can switch it to a PowerPoint. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. We need to... It yep. will pull up. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've done that all the time. I used to do it for school. I'm sorry, yeah. Mark. That's okay. I can't. Re I guess because I didn't remember it was my iPad. I think I need to figure out how to connect to the church laptop again. I mean, we, we need just like a dedicated machine that's going to run on that projector. And everybody needs to get their file onto that computer. That's, yeah. you know, especially with having... A new right. first service, like that's really going to compress. Well, the I just said we we're not going to probably so, yeah. be doing it anymore. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I just said that. I said oh. this is probably our last Sunday because I said we'd go to two services you guys have requested, and I, you know, oh, okay. and oh, then I'm going to say, well, one of the reasons sorry, I'm doing it today is because yeah. um, 
uh, I just didn't have time to prepare handouts. And I mean, just go through all no, that there's there's nothing fire. there's nothing wrong so, with that. You do what you can do, and I you know I'm certainly not. <laughs> no, I just yeah. I don't know. I thought there was no problem because I had no problem running it last fall. Yeah. Maybe I sent it to you. Did I send it to you? That's not a smart conjecture. Oh, I had a, I had a, I had my, I didn't know that was all we... Okay. Okay. If you could just email that to me. Okay. Okay. Where is that? Yeah, that one. Perfect. Yep. Okay. Oh yeah, and that's powerful. Okay. All right. Okay, send, send that to me. Okay. And then I'll run it from the church thing using the clicker. Yeah. call people back together again if that's okay. All right. Um, if we could come back together again for a minute. Okay. 
Um, if anyone would like to share some of the things you guys talked about, um, I'd love to get some what Lent means to you, things you found fun about Lent, things you found very hard about Lent. Okay. That, that's not what I was going to mention. But um, <laughs> we were talking about the things that we either give up or take on. And one thing that I've done every year that I've come to really enjoy is Normally, I listen to the radio on the way to work and back from work, but during Lent, I turn it off. And so my drives are just in silence, and it offers a lot of time for reflection. And I've come to really enjoy those, that time um, just during Lent. And it's not that the radio is bad. It's just like it's a good time of year to ponder. And, yeah. Um, I really love that because I think what Lent is is an invitation from God to draw closer to him. And it can be a very blessed time with that, just that kind of communion. And even though we may not continue those practices throughout the year, Lent is just a time where we've set aside this concentrated time where we really, and then it benefits us throughout the rest of the year because we've been able to realign our lives and recalibrate them during that time. Anyone else? I liked what came up at our group. Um, About two weeks in, you hit the wall, and you find out you're a failure, and that's really what it's all about. (laughs) Amen. Amen. That is what it's about, to teach us that it is... um, When we talk about clearing away the debris, we are not clearing away the debris. God is clearing away the debris. And uh, even though I'm physically uh, clearing away debris um, at my house right now, I am spiritually thinking about, God, could you clear? I've got way too much junk. It's getting way too much in the life of living, living in a house for 30 years and raising six kids in it. This is our automatic downsizing. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, thank you. I think that's great. Anything? Okay, well, Mark is a wizard. Um, Evidently, I had forgotten that I used my iPad to connect to this computer. But one of the reasons I was, um, uh, I think in many ways it is, in many ways it's easier to give a slideshow than to teach without one. So I was going the easy way this week, and I also had some slides already prepared. And what I like to do, it furthermore, you know, in coming weeks, is more to prepare a handout and an outline. But there was no way I was going to make it to the church office yesterday. And, you know. So anyway, I apologize for the screen, because that's not normally my normal mode of teaching. But hopefully, we can use it to help us here. So that's what my kitchen looks like. And, uh, yeah. Um, okay, now let's see if I... Go like that. There we go. Okay. So we're going to start off by talking about the church year a little bit. And when I know some of you have heard this before, 
But the church years, are, the church calendar actually gives us a spiritual rhythm. Um, and there are three eternal, whoops, okay. Three eternal um, movements towards God. And they are surrender, naming God's presence, and aligning ourselves to God's purpose. And this is from a book that I read on the church year. And um, the person that wrote this book showed how each of these seasons are, illust- are, are each of these movements are a part of the church year. So this is our church year calendar. And you'll notice that there's two seasons that are purple, Advent and Lent. And those are the seasons of what we call um, expectation. But, the, um, but Lent, you're going to notice next week, like for Advent, we had these very colorful, kind of more violet um, garments that we were wearing. And in Lent, we're going to go to a deeper purple. And there's, they're just going to be completely simple, no ornament. And so there is a distinction between the two kinds of waiting that we do in Lent and Advent. But um, I don't know if you can see this, but this is kind of a, a way of thinking about the church seasons. And the ones in gray are the waiting and yearning seasons, Advent, Lent, and then there's also pre-Pentecost. Now, we don't have the pre-Lenten season here, Uh, Because, again, that is more of a, this particular person that wrote this book wasn't really aware. Because basically when the 1979 prayer book came out, the 1928 prayer book had the pre-season of Lent. 79, they did away with it. So, which I think is just one of the modernizations I'm sad we lost. But, um, But you can see that in black are the festivals where we, um, we name and we celebrate. We name, we name Christ as the king. We name Christ as the incarnate one. We name Christ as the giver of the spirit and the Holy Spirit. We name Christ as the risen one on those festivals. Um, but in the, on the upside here, we have what we call the, se- the seasons of proclaiming and sending. And those of you that have sat under the three-year lectionary, Uh, you're aware that most of the lectionary in Epiphany is about proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel, um, caring for the world. Um, So that's true in Eastertide also. You'll hear a lot of gospel messages about proclaiming. But in the the seasons of Advent, Lent, and pre-Pentecost, that's the waiting and yearning. And we need stories to help us with that and notice our gospel readings in the next few weeks because they will be helping us, teaching us how to practice Lent through story. So the lectionary really matches this idea of the church year. So um, I'm going to go down here. I, I'm going the wrong direction, sorry. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, we talked about 
that the season of Lent is a different kind of waiting and expectation than the season of Advent. Nope, I get down. It's, it's counterintuitive. Okay, so conclusion of the candle mass is we turn from the crib to the cross. And so the Lenten color of purple, which is very simple and dark as opposed to Advent, really signifies that this is a different kind of purple season than Advent. You know, Advent is more a time when we're, it's like a hopeful expectation. It's kind of almost a joyful expectation that we are going to be celebrating the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. Whereas Lent is looking towards um, the cross. It is looking towards, um, and what we do in Lent is that we, identify with the cross of Jesus. And so our waiting and yearning is more about suffering, relinquishment, brokenness. We just mentioned that. Um, Abandonment. Sometimes we may feel loneliness. We may feel conflict because of all the stuff that's going on in our hearts as we begin to practice Lent. And that, all of that, is identifying with the cross. And the early festivals, uh, which started way back, you know, in the second century of the church, they were, um, they were understood as journeys. They were understood as pilgrimages. In fact, they were pilgrimages in that the people that um, around that area in the Middle Eastern area where the church was kind of the, the, the cradle of the church, Many, many people would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. This started happening third, fourth century. We have a beautiful uh, memoir from um, a, a nun who wrote about her pilgrimage to Jerusalem during Easter and how she celebrated the Easter village vigil. We know so much about early worship from this memoir. But it also means a journey um, in more of a spiritual sense, more of a metaphorical sense. So. Think about Lent as a journey to the cross. Okay. I'll get it. (laughs) We're back to our three internal movements towards God and how these relate to Lent. Surrender, naming God's presence, and aligning ourselves to God's will. So in Lent... I have a slide, actually, that talks about this waiting in Advent is a different kind of waiting. It is a waiting of expectation. So what it's not is this. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, when I was growing up, I I grew up in um, a German Catholic community majority, and my, um, I was a Presbyterian. We celebrated Lent, but we didn't give up things, but my you know, they say, I'm going to give up bub. I'm going to give up chewing. They always seem to choose the thing that would be the least hardest to give up, <laughs> you know. But um, anyway, so this was a little bit more of an explanation about Shrovetide, which I already told to you. But many of us, when we think about Lent, we think about, okay, it is repentance. That's what Lent is all about, is repentance. And it is, but it is so much more than that. Um, it is... Um, Oh, come on. Okay. Okay. 
So, okay, keep going here. Oh, this is not translating. I'm sorry. We switched it to, pardon? Yeah, I think it's from the fact that it was, um, we switched it to a PowerPoint. But anyway, so I'll just read these quotes to you. Um, so we think of Lent as a time of sin. But what is really important is, is that our awareness of sin must never be overpowered by an awareness of the love and acceptance that God has for us, despite our sinful condition. So, yes, we're in sackcloth and ashes, but that is to bring us closer to God, not lead us further away from him. And I have a quote here about this kind of basically, this is um, kind of the mantra, I think, for spiritual formation for me, and, and I, something that I'm really, um, as we shape our spiritual formation program at church, and it's Ruth Haley Barton's definition which is spiritual transformation, it's transformation, is the process by which Christ is formed in us for the glory of God, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of others. So there's a telos always to these practices. They're not to make us more inward. Um, They're not to make us feel like we are super spiritual. Um, I was reading a book recently that said... um, if you want to know how spiritual a person is, look at their life and look at how much they are serving others and if they're warm towards others, if they have all those uh, qualities of the spirit that is spoken of in Ephesians. So it's not, we're not trying to make ourselves, you know, super spiritual. We're just trying to make ourselves more human in the way that God designed us to be human and to be the people that Christ has created us to be when we are born again in his spirit. And so anything that, any practice we have, that is the telos. It isn't about, like, climbing a ladder to God or making ourselves more spiritual in his eyes. Um, so I think we'll go down here. I'll see if I can get a picture here. Lent is a season of letting go of the faults to embrace the true. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Increasing our knowledge of God's love and knowing we are made strong in our weaknesses, um, that we know from Romans that God says that it is in our weaknesses that God makes us strong. So when we hit the wall, we can rest on that promise. It's gone. Is it working? Oh, there we go. Okay. So you might be asking, what does discernment have to do with all that? I mean, I, I got a comment from someone. What is this about discernment? I thought you were asking me to teach on something. I won't say what, okay? <laughs> but I, as I meant, I had gotten some of my speakers lined up ahead of time. And so when the announcement came out, a couple of them were surprised that they were part of a series on discernment. But discernment is something that is so much bigger than, you know, what what job am I going to take or where am I going to live? Um, discernment is the capacity to recognize and respond to the presence and the activity of God, both in the ordinary moments and in the larger decisions of our lives. And this is from a book by Ruth Haley Barton called Pursuing God's Will Together. And last year, the vestry read that book together, and we spent several vestry meetings discussing the book 
And Ruth Haley Barton came and gave a workshop. It was a retreat, kind of, but more also kind of more like a workshop um, here in the church and taught some of the main ideas that are in this book. So this has become kind of a, um, a template for how the vestry is beginning to understand what discernment is. And actually, we, the vestry has a covenant that they sign that sometime it would be nice to actually make that public. But it has to do with what are the practices that, that a vestry person needs to be engaging in in order to be an effective leader. Because if you're going to be a leader, and this is true for any of us, we have to be examining our lives. Because if we don't examine our lives, we're, we're going to just be relying a lot of the habits of self, the habits that what we call the false self, which is all the ways that we have from childhood figured out a way to survive in the world. So um, that these are deeply embedded in us, and we need the practice of discernment to figure out what those are so that we can begin to see what God's will is for our life and how we can be a person who is more whole. So if you guys want to grab this book, you know, it's um, actually, if you have an Audible account, it's free on Audible, and it would be a great listen in the car to and from work. Um, but it's also available as a Kindle, and it's available on every vestry member. Every new vestry member was just given this book. So what I'm trying to do also in this series is bring some of the ideas that are in this book to our congregation uh, because we want you to be aware of how our leadership is um, understanding how to discern the path forward for the church. So... Um, Romans 12, 1 to 2, does anyone have a, really, have a Bible really quick? They could read that for me. Did you say Romans 3, 12? No, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Okay, thank you, Mark. Hello? Okay. 12, is it? Yeah, 12, 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that is um, the scripture that teaches us that God does want to transform us. And it says transform our minds. And that is a misconception that it's just an intellectual. Because actually the Greek word nous does not have to do just with the mind. It has to do with basically, I think, a better definition. But of course, I'm not a Greek translator. would be the soul. Because it's the seat and this idea is that the mind is the seat of our emotions, our will, um, our spirituality, and that's what we are transforming. We're not just transforming how we think. We're transforming ourselves, body, excuse me, body, mind, and soul. So I think that's just something that's really important to keep in mind when you think 
about um, uh, transformation. So again, we can see how these three practices. So these are the three. These are the practice of discernment that we're going to be talking about in this series. First, we're going to be talking about retreat, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit here. Next week, Father James is going to be talking about confession, naming our sin, and also about what we call the rite of confession in the Anglican Church. It's not considered a sacrament, but we call it a rite. Um, we're going to be looking at the examine. That is going to be in two weeks. Um, James Leonard is going to be teaching about the examine and talking about the desolations and consolations. The examine is really central to this idea of discernment. So that's a really central teaching. And then we're going to be talking about aligning ourselves. What is God doing? And that I'll be teaching that. And I will be giving a model for how to understand that. And then the last two Sundays, we're going to be talking about reconciliation. Um, first, Bethany uh, Erickson is going to be talking about racial reconciliation. And then James Beitler is going to be talking about reconciling ourselves to each other in the body of Christ. So really quickly, I would like to talk about retreat here. And this is not an advertisement, but it kind of is to come to the parish retreat. But and I hope you do. But it's also a more or less, this is one of the key disciplines of Lent and Advent. Traditionally, Anglicans have gone on retreat two times a year, um, and it's Lent and um, Advent. But, okay, let's see if this slide's going to show up. Okay, so what we want to do is we want to reclaim retreat as a spiritual practice. And oftentimes when we think of retreats, I don't know, like corporations have retreats, and they're not retreats. Uh, sometimes churches have retreats, and they're a lot of fun. I mean, like a women's retreat where you might go and stay at a hotel and stay up late gossiping and talking. And those are really great things for building our relationships with each other. But retreat as a spiritual practice is more about um, an extended time apart from God for the purpose of being with God and giving God our full and undivided attention. And we can only do this if we go away someplace, um, even if it's just for a day. We go, there's many um, uh, monasteries and retreat houses in this area. I think I'm going to try to pull together something, a list for people, and put it on the uh, internet of places where on our website where we can go and just have a day. Um, but it is a generous commitment to our friendship with God. And retreat is really about surrendering our time. Um, we are, and this is a quote that's not coming on there, but um, time, this is from Emily Griffin Offels, time comes when we yearn for more of God than our schedules will allow. We are tired, we are crushed, and we are crowded by friends and acquaintances, commitments and obligations. The life of grace is abounding, but we are often too busy to even notice. So that is one of the things that um, retreat will give us. Um, I, I like this because I think what every popular invention of the last 20 or 30 years has been, what is it's been principal idea? 
What is the principal idea behind having a whole, our whole life on our iPhones? Or save time, right. We have fast food places, we have FedEx, we have Uber, we have fax machines, ATMs, we have instant meals, instant communication, and that is robbing us, basically, because a relationship with God is not fast food. You know, it is digging in. I think a couple of weeks ago, um, Matt referred to the heavy lifting, and I guess this series is going to be a little bit of that heavy lifting, um, but um, that's, that's not something that we can just get five minutes a day or ten minutes a day. Sometimes our lives, especially if we have busy families, it's very hard to even find that alone time. And I encourage you, young families, if you, any of you are here, that each of you give each other spouse a day away from the kids and do that retroactively just so you can get one day away and have a time away with God. So we want to reclaim retreat as a spiritual practice, and I'm running out of time. We were going to read Mark 6.30, where um, Jesus invites the disciples to come up to pray on the mountain, to come away with him, and how the disciples must have been like, wow, like, why are we doing this? We're supposed to be healing people and doing all these other things. And Jesus always made sure that he had that time away to speak with the Father. So there are other ways of thinking about retreat. Um, Sabbath keeping is another way of building retreat into our daily lives by having one day a week where we rest and we come to church and we rest in God. But I'd encourage you to perhaps take some of Sunday to just do some, catch up on some of the Bible reading or just do some of the things that will help you kind of recalibrate your next week. Um, and then the examine is a practice, a retreat practice, and James is going to be talking about that because that's the time of day where you put, turn everything off and you might just sit down with your journal and you take a look at your day and you say, what worked that day? What was good? Where did I see God working? Where did I not see God working? And that's kind of what the consolations and desolations are about. And then quarterly or yearly personal retreats. So um, in retreat, we hear God's invitation to rest and relinquish. We experience rhythms that replenish body, mind, and soul. We practice recognizing and responding to God's presence. We recalibrate and we re-engage our lives with God. So I'm going to put that up there, and you can read that. But I do want to extend an invitation to all of you, um, if you can make it, to the Lenten retreat. We are going to be talking about the Enneagram, but that, and the reason we're doing that is because that is a very important tool that we can use to distinguish what are the constellations and desolations in our lives and what are the habits of the false self that have kind of been ingrained in us and what are the habits of the true self. The Enneagram is not a personality test. It's a tool to help us see where we go when we are in the walking in God's spirit and where we go when we're walking in ourselves. And it's a tool to help us kind of see what some of those habits are and the way they work. However, that's just going to be a very small part of the retreat. We are going to have times of silence, times of walking in the woods. It's on a beautiful retreat um, 
it's it's at the St. Mary St. Mary's in um, Retreat Center in um, it's not Lyle <laughs> Lamont. Yeah, it's much quicker to get to. Any of you who've gone to the retreat center we used to use in Mandeline, this you can get to in like 25 or 30 minutes. So I'm hoping you guys will consider that. But please register because at some point I am going to open it up. I've had some other sister congregations ask if they could participate. So if you think you're going to come, please do register. But I hope even if you can't come to that retreat, that you will take a retreat this Lent. So this is a Lenten prayer. Calm our racing minds. Let our longing linger. Let it take root and create a beautiful yearning space that has time to ache. Slow us down for the fast. Silence the siren voices. Wait for the weary wanting to meet our need in common ground. I think that is a beautiful prayer for Lent. And thank you for coming this morning. Thank you.